Well, we're in a series called Enduring. And this morning we're going to be talking about enduring through the trials of life. How many of you are familiar with the clothing brand, Life is Good? Pretty popular clothing brand. You know, um, when I think about it, I'm thinking like, this is false advertisement. I mean, I mean, yes, life is good, but, and the life is good logo is really related a lot to camping type of stuff. And I'm like, okay, how is that good? I'm going to leave my perfectly comfortable bed, my air conditioning, my, my stove, and I'm going to go sleep in a hot, sweaty, uncomfortable little tent where my feet hang out the end and I'm going to get bit by bugs. Get a bigger tent. No, you know what? I'm, I'm staying home in my air conditioning. But so I did a little research. I did a little, I did a little research. Interesting. Oh, and you, this little dude's name is Jake, first off. And on their website, it says, life is not perfect. Life is not easy. Life is good. And their focus is to spread the power of optimism. They recognize that, that life is good, and I would agree, life is good, but it definitely is not easy. It's not perfect. And the way that they're going to try to help us get through is with optimism. Hang in there, you can do it, have the right perspective. And there's some truth in that. But is that going to be enough to endure the trials of life? Life is hard. Life is full of trials. Cassie and I used to, to say, Wow, this is just a really difficult season we're in. I'm really looking forward to we get through this season into that next season. Fast forward, we're in the new season. Wow, this is a really difficult season we're in. Really looking forward to getting through this one and getting to the next one. Fast forward. Wow, this is a really difficult. We started to recognize that um, it's not difficult seasons. It's called life. It's hard. It's full of struggles and difficulties. And what is going to sustain us? What's going to strengthen us to make it through? How in the world can we endure? Sometimes it feels like I can't go on. Sometimes it feels like it's just too much. God, give me a break. It's just one thing after another. Optimism is not going to cut it. We need something else. Let me ask you, when you see all the trials, all the difficulties coming down, how do you view them? Are they just this thing that is just making life so hard and you just wish they were gone? But what if, what if the road that is marked with suffering and trials is actually from God? And it's for our good. That the trials aren't just something to be avoided. They're not just detours. But they are actually instruments in our Father's hands to accomplish good. To help us lovingly grow into spiritual maturity. See, it does change things when we have the right perspective. We can endure the trials when we, when we have that right perspective. 
But even then, that's not going to be enough. Ultimately, we can endure. Just as we heard this morning through communion, Jesus endured. And therefore, our hope to endure will not be found within our ability to hold on and to get through it, but in Jesus Christ, whose grip will never fail. And it's because of that truth that we can hang on. And we can actually now embrace the trials with genuine thankfulness. This morning we're going to be in James chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. If you turn your Bibles to James chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. Um, a friend of mine, I was talking to him about the message. He said, you're going to try to cover 18 verses? He's like, that's too much. Like, there are so You could do five different sermons out of this. And I said, you're absolutely right. But my concern is that oftentimes we approach these, these verses in small chunks. And we miss the big picture. There's a reason that God has put all these verses together. And there's times where I'm like, oh, I didn't see how this fit. This didn't. So I really, we're not going to dig in to any one section super deep. But yet we're going to walk through all these verses and see how it is that we can experience a genuine thankfulness and that we can endure trials. We need to have a little background. And that's where we're going to start in verse 1. James chapter 1, verse 1. He says, James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. To the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. So right here we see that this the book is written by James. This is the half-brother of Jesus. Pretty cool. Half-brother because they didn't have the same dad. Same mom, different dads. A couple of you guys are processing that. Okay, God the Father and then Joseph. Okay. So, and it says that he's writing to the twelve tribes and the dispersion. What this is a reference to is he is writing to Jewish believers, those who had been in Judaism who have come to faith in Jesus Christ. The dispersion is they have been scattered all around now because of persecution. They couldn't stay in their hometowns. And so this is a group of Jewish believers who are suffering and struggling, and they're tempted to wonder, is following Jesus worth it? Is it too hard? And they look at the world around them, and they start to wonder, Maybe there's another way to, to navigate these waters of life. Man, can't we relate to those temptations? And when the trials come, it is so easy to question God, even blame God. God, if you are this loving God, God, if you are sovereign and in control of everything, if you're strong enough and powerful enough, then why would you let all these things continue to happen? I mean, really, God, how is this good? You could stop it. So why do you keep doing this? But again, the trials that they face, the struggles that they face, aren't to be avoided, but they're actually a road to spiritual growth, for spiritual maturity. And so James is going to talk to them about how they can face all that they're going through with, with a real joy, a real thankfulness. You see, our Heavenly Father is a redeeming God, and he's making all things new. And trials are one of the tools that God uses in that process of growing us into the image of his son. So this morning, James is going to tell us through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we can be genuinely thankful for every trial that enters into our life. And he's going to give us five reasons why we can have joy, why we can be thankful. 
So let's look at James chapter 1, verses 2 through 18. He says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks in wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. Because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with his scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own sin. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits. Of his creatures. We can be genuinely thankful for trials because, well, first we see in verses three through four. Actually, let's go to two through four. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for or because you know the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete. You see, the testing of our faith through the trials actually produces endurance and maturity. He starts out, he doesn't say that the trials are wonderful gifts, that they're so good. Let's just be thankful. Oh, man, pain. Woohoo! But he says, I want you to count it joy. I want you to consider it. I want you to make a decision to see things the way God sees things, to see things with an eternal perspective. And he says, I want you to consider it all joy. Now, it's not saying that the only emotion you should experience in the midst of your trials is joy. What he's talking about is the quality of joy that we should have. There's a real genuineness to it. You know, it's not like when you go to Aunt Bertha's house and she fixes this really disgusting meal and you have to sit there and you smile and you're like, oh, this is so good. Thank you so much. And you're like, you're looking for the napkin to spit the food into and you just, but you're smiling the whole time. It's not that kind of joy. There is a genuine joy and thankfulness. We're not faking it. Again, though, it's not saying that we're, we're oh man, God, thank you for the horrible things that are happening. Thank you, Father, that we can suffer like this. There's a lot of painful things that happen, and they're not good. 
But those who belong to Jesus Christ can be truly thankful when they face the trial because they know that because of Jesus Christ, God is going to force every one of these trials to accomplish good plans for us. It is not easy. It is not comfortable. But he is good and he is accomplishing the work in us. Notice James says, I want you to count it genuinely thankful, my brothers, and it's brothers and sisters, when, when you meet trials of various kinds, not if, but when. And we all know that's true. They always come. They always come. And he says, and there are various kinds. Hey, you got the big trials. You got the small trials. You got the little irritations. You got the la- the massive life-rocking trials. I mean, a stub toe. And you're like, oh, man, and it messes up your day, and it hurts. That's a trial. Your car breaks down, or you got to do repairs. That's a trial. The house needs work. The kids are arguing with each other. You can't find the keys to the car. The bills are coming in, and you're not sure how you're going to pay for all of them. You're trying to coordinate all the schedules and you've got your plan set up with your friends and things fall through. That's a trial. Saying goodbye to your son when he's heading out to the Marines. Thinking about you guys and I'm like, that's a, that's a trial. That's not easy. You know, maybe it's a difficult coworker or a boss. Maybe it's broken relationships. Maybe it's illness. Disease. Maybe it's death. What are some of the trials that you're facing? God this morning is helping us see that it's hard and as difficult, and sometimes they're not good. We can really face them with joy. We can really... thankful and that that's not a normal response but that's christ at work in us because when we see these trials with spiritual eyes we can rejoice because we know god has a purpose he has a plan he can do things through these trials sometimes we need painful things to help us about two weeks ago, I was playing basketball, and, and I did something to my shoulder. It was kind of hurting me, and, and I got scared, honestly, because um, a couple guys that we know, Fred Cato, he, he tore a rotator cuff, and, and I watched him like have to do his little exercises, and he's like, I can only get my arm up this high, and I was like, oh, man, like, I don't want to give up basketball. I love basketball, and even today, like my shoulder hurts. So I was a little nervous. I didn't want to go to the doctor, so I go into the doctor, and of course, she's like, okay, well, let's see. And so she starts poking. I was like, okay, that hurts. And she's like, well, all right, let me, she pokes deeper. I'm like, whoa, that hurts. She said, okay, well, the good news is it's just a, a bicep tendon. I didn't even know I had a bicep. You can't tell from here. Um, <laughs> I think that was not supposed to laugh at me for that. But um, so thankfully, she said, it's just this, this bicep tendon that's inflamed. She says, but so that's fixable. I said, awesome. She gets out a big needle. She says, we're going to put some cortisone in there. So she finds the most painful spot and then sticks the needle into the painful spot. She says, this is going to help you. And then she just starts squeezing the cortisone. She goes, now, it's probably going to burn. I came to get better, and you're abusing me. 
Then she says, after that, you're going to need to go to physical therapy. There is pain associated with the growth and healing that needs to take place in me. And the same is true for us spiritually. We need the things that are going to help us. Sometimes we don't always want them, but God knows how to grow us. You see, James tells us that the testing of our faith is actually occurring through the trials. These trials help reveal things about our faith. Where are the cracks in the foundations of our faith? Where are the impurities in our faith that need to be burned away so that our faith can be refined? You see, these trials can challenge our faith in really good ways so that we can more fully know what we believe and why we believe it. They're purifying our faith. It's a painful process, but it's a good process. And therefore, we can be thankful. And you see these trials, not just are they purifying our faith, but there's, there's a, it's producing steadfastness. That word steadfastness can be in patient endurance. He says, listen, when, when you are tested in your faith, it has the opportunity now for your faith to help you continue. Because your faith is growing, and therefore you can now patiently endure. It has this connotation of remaining under. It's like, you know, sometimes, man, I don't like running. I hate to run. And so I'll start to run, and I'm like immediately a, a cramp in my side. And I'm like, I'm done. Not going any further. You know, when we're going through the trials and you have that heavy load, it is so easy. Like, all right, where's the ripcord to just pull the, the emergency release? Let's get out. And James says, no. These trials have to do the work that they need to do to produce endurance, to hang in there. But it's not just endurance for endurance sake. There's even a greater goal. You see, it has to have its intended effect. God's calling us to respond by clinging to him, seeking him in a way that changes everything. You see, endurance is designed to lead to maturity. He says in verse 4, let that steadfastness, the perfect endurance, have its full effect so that you would be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Now, you read a verse like that, and you're like, perfect, complete? Okay. He's not saying that we're going to be perfect here. But there is this perfect and complete as is a, is a picture of spiritual maturity, that there is this growth so that the endurance that is coming as a result of my faith being purified, I now have greater confidence in God. I now have a hope in him like I didn't before that I've come to the end of myself and I realize I'm not in control. I don't have all the answers. And so I look to God where, where spiritual maturity is, is flowing out of us so that our lives are filled with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control and compassion and kindness and humility and meekness. You see, God is forming us into the image of Jesus. And it is only through the heat of the trials that that can be fully produced. I don't know about you, though. I am really tempted to want that growth without the sacrifice, without the pain. You know, like, quick, get quick rich schemes. Why are they so tempting to people? Man, if I could get rich and not have to do a lot of work, whew, man, 
if there's some supplement I could take and I could get ripped and look like Matt Keller and I don't have to lift weights, I would do it, right? We don't want to have to do the hard work. We don't want to go through pain. Listen to Sinclair Ferguson in his book, Devoted to God. Why does God allow trials to build Christian character, making us more like Christ? For if it was the affliction that the Father molded his life, Jesus' life, if his son's obedience was developed through suffering, we should not be surprised if he continues to use the same method with us. God uses trials to mature us and strengthen us. Most of you guys know it was going to be five years in November that my dad passed away of cancer. It was a two-year road of just watching my dad's body slowly decay. It was so painful to watch. It hurt deeply. One of the deepest trials that I've had to face. But you know what? I watched God use that to change my dad. To have a greater heart for evangelism. I watched God use this trial to change me. I, I could go on and on, but one of the things is God used that to make me say, life is short. What am I living for? I'm not promised. My dad was 67 years old. That's young. The trial was hard. My cancer's dad, my, my cancer's dad, my dad's cancer was not good. But I'm genuinely thankful for that trial because it strengthened my faith. It helped me grow. Sinclair Ferguson goes on to say, if you ever wonder why the Christian life turns out to be so hard and why so many Christians find themselves saying, I thought I had difficulties before I became a Christian, but I seem to have even more since becoming one, then here's the answer. God is doing nothing less than changing you from what you were to what he meant you to be, making you more and more like himself. But there's also praise. See, we can be thankful for if God is changing you in this way to reflect the purity and glory of his son, Jesus Christ, then surely you will want to sing his praises for such a privilege. Do you see how God is changing our perspective to see these trials? He's growing us. He's maturing us. He's strengthening our faith through these trials. But you know, sometimes you don't always see the growth, especially right in the moment. It's really hard to see sometimes man, I just keep failing and I'm not responding any better. I don't think I'm any different than I was. Can I encourage you to be careful to evaluate when you're in the middle of it? Typically, you have to have some perspective, some distance in order to evaluate growth. Um, if I asked you to watch my son, Justin, this morning and be like, okay, is he growing? He is, but you wouldn't notice it right now. But if you look back to his picture from the beginning of the school year, he's grown over five inches this year. Yeah. Lots of new clothes and shoes. It doesn't seem discernible in the moment. Yet when you look over time, you can see the growth. So I just want to encourage you, don't be discouraged. You are growing because you have a God who is faithful to help you grow. Also, get others to help you evaluate it. Secondly, we can genuinely be thankful for trials 
because trials produce a dependence upon God. In verses 5 through 11, this is a very classic passage, right? We're familiar with this passage. He says, if you lack wisdom, and remember the context is through trials. When you're going through your trials and you lack wisdom, ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. And it will be given to him. You see, the trials make us very aware of our need. Our need for God. James is telling these Jewish believers who have been scattered due to persecution. They are facing so many troubles. They're having financial difficulties. They're probably struggling to fit in. He says, call out to God for wisdom so that you can know how to properly understand and respond to the trials you're facing. And I think there's two types of wisdom that he's talking about here. One is a very practical wisdom. When we face the trials of life, we need practical wisdom. God, what do I do in this situation? What decisions do I need to make? Should I spend the money on this or should I wait? How should I respond to my kids arguing? What medical care should we pursue? I mean, there are very practical decisions that need to be made in the midst of trials. And God is saying here, ask me and I will give you wisdom on that. But I think there's another aspect of wisdom here. The second aspect would be is, God, how in the world am I going to be able to be genuinely thankful? God, how am I going to endure because this is crushing me? God, because I can't hang on anymore. And I don't understand what you're doing. And I'm struggling to see how you are good. God, this is too painful. And James says, when you find yourself in that situation, you have got to call out to God. You have got, you can't do this without him. So, and when, when we ask, when we call out for that wisdom to help us endure the trial, the wisdom to navigate the trial, James says we have to believe and trust that God is really desirous to give us that wisdom. He says that we're supposed to ask in faith with no doubting. It's like, well, wait a minute. Man, if that's the criteria, I'm toast. Because I struggle. I do doubt. That's not exactly what he's saying here. When you think about Jesus and the rich man who who came to come to Jesus and asked, please heal my son. And he says to the, um, Jesus, the rich man says to Jesus, if you can do something, please heal my son. Jesus says, if I can, All things are possible for those who believe. And the man responds with, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. God understands that there's a struggle. What James is talking about here is having a divided loyalty. It's not the honest struggles of faith. It's going to God in our situations And if we're in a place where we're getting bitter and angry at God and we're raising our fist at God and really we don't trust him and we believe he's abandoned us and we really don't expect to get wisdom from him and we're really about ready to reject God, he's saying then you really can't expect to get the wisdom from God. It's a divided loyalty. I'm doing it because it's my last chance, but I really really don't want to follow you. I just want you to get me out of this situation. God is not saying there's not going to be a wrestling in our heart. He understands that there will be a struggle for faith. But the trial allows us, it presses us into God in a way that we wouldn't normally. And therefore we can be thankful. 
James goes on to give us a practical example of how trials can really provide perspective and cause us to recognize where our hope lies. And when I first read this, I was like, what in the world? If you look at verses 9 through 11, there's this discussion about a lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. James says, okay, you believers who've been scattered, the lowly brother is somebody who is, is poor. They're, they're living in poverty and you have a rich brother. And he says, look, you're going to be so tempted to look at your, your socioeconomic situation and let that dictate your ability to endure the trials and to have thankfulness. He says, but no, he says, look, both of you, the money isn't going to be where you find your joy and it's not going to get you through. James tells both of them to look rightly at their circumstances. He says, the poor man is to boast in knowing that he has been honored. He's been accepted by God. The rich man boasts and, and he's humbled because he's like, you know what? Man, I'm not taking any of this with me. It's all going to be gone. And suddenly they both recognize really before God, and walking through the trials of life, they're on equal footing. So what are we looking to? Man, it's so tempting to want to look to other things to get us through our trials and our situation. But the trials aren't something to come out from underneath. The trials are something that lead us to press into God. James goes on to say, we can genuinely be thankful because he's going to reward us. <laughs> How beautiful. Blessed is the man or the woman who remains steadfast under trial. For when they have stood the test, they will receive the crown of life. The crown of life. You see, there is a reward for sticking with it, for hanging in there, for clinging to God. And it's not the kingly crown with all the jewels. It's, it's like the victor crown that they would receive as an athlete at the end of a race. That laurel wreath. Think about the Olympics and the laurel wreath that they would wear. It, it was a symbol to say, you finished the race and you won. And God says, you can get through it. You can make it because I am with you. I have secured it for you. And ha knowing the finish line is there and knowing that there's a reward, that really helps you. You know, sometimes when you know there's an end in sight, and I get it, we don't know how many days we have on this earth, but there is a day coming, and we know that we can make it. And so we keep pressing on. And we are going to experience the greatest reward. True life. Just like Tim talked about this morning, fellowship, relationship with God, unhindered. And it's not just then that we're going to experience it. We can experience it now. The blessings of God, the fruit of maturity. He says, so when you face these trials, these are opportunities for genuine joy and thankfulness. God is at work. He's strengthening your faith. He's growing you spiritually. He's causing you to trust him more. And there is this beautiful reward awaiting for us. Doesn't that help us endure? Fourth reason, he says, that we can be genuinely thankful. If we look at verses 13 through 17, it's kind of interesting. He says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when is give, has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, gives birth to death. 
Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good and perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. It's like, how does this fit in? Doesn't This seems different. What he's saying here is trials which test us come from the hand of our unchanging God who gives good and perfect gifts. Trials have come to us through the hand of God. And this is a God who doesn't change. Now, have you ever gotten a Christmas gift and you're just like, oh, wow, thank you so much. Didn't know I needed this. It doesn't seem like a very good gift. Trials don't feel like very good gifts. Yet they came from God. And the trial itself might not be good. The gift is what it's going to accomplish. It can be hard, though, when you realize that it came from God. God, why would you put me through this painful stuff? Even though I know that you're going to help me get through it and you're going to accomplish something. I remember when I was about five years old, um, I jumped out of a treehouse, and when I landed, I landed on my elbow. And I broke my elbow, and I had to go into the hospital. Uh, we were up in New York, and they were going to have to um, to set it, and it was um, going to have to do surgery on it. So my, my dad and my mom were in there with me, and the nurses came in and said, well, we're going to have to give you a shot to get you ready for the anesthesia. And they said, you're going to need to roll over because we're going to give you the shot in your rear end. I said, I have never gotten a shot in my rear end, and I do not intend today to be the day that I get it. Five years old, and I fought it with everything in my body. So literally, there were three nurses and a doctor trying to roll me over, and I'm just locked down on the bed, not rolling over. It got to the point where they couldn't, I was moving so much, and that they couldn't even get it into my leg. I remember my dad laying down on top of me, putting all his weight on me, and forcing me to lay there. And I remember being like, Dad, whose side are you on? My dad understood what I needed. And he was willing to do something that was... He didn't enjoy that. He didn't enjoy holding me down to watch me get stabbed with a needle. But he knew I needed it. And he knew that he was going to have to do something. Because on my own, there was no way I was going to receive the care that I needed. Our Heavenly Father knows the care that we need. And there are times where he will bring trials into our lives that are going to hold us down so that we can get the care that we need. And these trials are not part of some cynical setup where God is trying to to watch us fail. He's allowing the trial and he's testing our faith to strengthen it, but he's not doing it to tempt us. Unfortunately, that when all these trials come, man, I'm quick to tempt to temptation. I'm tempted to, I question God. I don't know that you're so good. I don't know that you really do know what's best. Because I'm looking at this situation and I would see it very differently. There's temptations to want to numb the pain or escape. And so we turn to different things. Relationships, food, maybe it's sex or alcohol, TV, Facebook, whatever I can do. To just distract myself. There's the temptation to just respond sinfully. Get angry. Throw stuff. 
Man, there's the temptation to take the shortcut. Wasn't that what Satan was trying to do with Jesus in the wilderness? Look, you've got a long road. You're going to have to endure all the pain, the suffering, the rejection. How about we take the shortcut and, and just get to the end? And Jesus says, no. And there's the temptation when we face difficult trials to just throw in the towel and say, God, I'm done with you. But God's not tempting us. He adores you. And everything that he's allowing, he doesn't like those sinful things that are happening. But he says, I'm a redeemer. And I know the way to produce the life in you that you need. And so you can trust me. A.W. Tozer in the book, Pass the Power, this is beautiful. He says, the fallow field, basically the uncultivated, just the, the field that's laying there, is smug, contended, protected from the shock of the plow and the agitation of the harrow. That's just that, the big spike teeth that go through the ground. He says that that fallow field, it's paying a terrible price for its tranquility. Never does it see the miracle of growth. Never does it feel the motions of the mounting life. Nor does it see the wonders of the bursting seed, nor the beauty of the ripening grain. Fruit it can never know because it's afraid of the plow and the harrow. In direct opposite to this, the cultivated field has yielded itself to the adventures of living. The protecting fence has opened to admit the plow, and the plow has come as plows always come. Practical, cruel, businesslike, and in a hurry. Peace has been shattered by the shouting farmer and the rattle of machinery. The field has felt the travail of change. It has been upset, turned over, bruised, and broken. But its reward come hard upon its labors. The seed shoots up into the daylight, its miracle of life, curious, exploring the new world above it. All over the field, the hand of God is at work in the age-old and ever-renewed service of creation. New things are born to grow, mature, and consummate the grand prophecy latent in the seed when it entered the ground. Nature's wonders follow the plow. That ground was beaten, turned upside down, bruised, tilled, so that life could come out. God is plowing the fields of our hearts and souls so that miraculous growth will occur. Sometimes growth doesn't occur any other way. And because of that, then we can look at these things and say, thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. But ultimately, ultimately, we're going to genuinely be thankful for our trials and we're going to endure our trials. And look at verse 18. It's because God chose to redeem us and we know that he'll complete the work he started. Here's where our hope is. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. You see, God is redeeming a world that has been ravaged by sin, and he has done that through the life, the death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And first fruits are the way of saying that the first and the best belongs to God and is be given to him. <laughs> 
God, by his own decision, by his own choice, made us alive in Christ and tells us this morning that we are the first and best of his creation. And because of the sacrifice of his son, because his son was bruised and beaten and turned inside out, we now, we now are guaranteed that he will complete the work that he started. He did it because of his own choice, not because he knew we were going to be the strongest and the fittest and we could make it to the end, not because we were so amazingly lovable. No, he chose. So ultimately, we can have great joy when we face trials because we know we can endure the trials because they're not tied up in our ability to endure. It doesn't diminish our responsibility to hold on. But what we're seeking to do is we're seeking to hold on to the truth of Jesus Christ that he endured all the way. That he went through trials and suffering and therefore has secured our future. And God even sent his Holy Spirit to us as a seal and deposit to give us hope and confidence that it is a done deal. So this morning, as we face trials of so many kind, let us be genuinely thankful because we have a God who has conquered who is at work and will bring us to the end. Let's pray.